Can women teach? Or should they just sit in a corner and keep quiet and not utter a word? Are women able to operate in ministry the same way as men? Or is there restriction? And why did Paul say that women ought to not speak in a church? But a few chapters earlier, he spoke about women who are prophesying and how they should prophesy in a church. Are women simply there to work in a kitchen, to make food and to take care of the kids? Or is there a bigger role for them in the kingdom of God? How did Yeshua work with women and how did he treat them in relation to ministry? In this video, we'll be looking at some of these things by looking at some of Paul's letters. 1 Corinthians 14, as well as 1 Timothy 2, amongst other letters. We'll look at their cultural context. We'll look at the the context in Scripture itself and what Paul really meant around these bold statements. Before continuing with this teaching, I highly recommend you watch part one of the Women in Ministry series first. In that teaching, we talked about women and authority. We talked about the roles of men and women. We talked about the cultural context and what was going on in Rome at the time of Paul's letters. We also more specifically looked at head coverings as well as jewelry and the dress of men and women. And so in this teaching, we're going to be looking at whether women can teach. We're going to be looking at whether women can have a form of authority at all. We're going to be looking at these questions, which are so important. Because guys, if we get this wrong, we will distort the body of Christ. Because see, we read in scripture that we have the bride of Christ and we have Christ. The bride, the body of Christ is the bride and Christ is the bridegroom. And the picture of the husband and the wife, male and female, is the picture of our relationship with God itself. And so if we get the role of women wrong or the role of a man wrong, we get it all wrong. Because the body cannot operate the way God designed it to if the woman does not know how to operate or walk or roll out. We also cannot truly walk out that picture of Christ and his assembly, Christ and his body, his bride. If we cannot properly walk out our role between male and female, husband and wife, who is the picture of Christ and the church. For generations upon generations, we've had 33,000 plus denominations, each having their holding onto their own set of doctrine, each having their own opinion about Paul's scriptures. And so today I encourage you to lay down for a moment all prerequisite ideas, all ideas you had before coming here. And let's look at what scripture and our historical evidence says today so we can properly interpret Paul's writings from a brand new lens. You see, we are called to walk as Yeshua. We are not called to be a Catholic. We're not called to be a Baptist. We're not called to be this or that denomination. We're called to be disciples of Christ. Therefore, whatever doctrine our Messiah held to, whatever doctrine his disciples held to, that is our doctrine. We are simple followers of him. And that means that we will run after him and we'll toss aside all man-made ideas and adopt the ideas of God, adopt the teaching of our father. 
the teaching that Messiah and his disciples walked out to do this. This is very necessary for us to walk as he walked, both as male and female. And so first, I'd like us to have a look at scriptural examples of women in authority. We need to first establish whether there is a scriptural, is there scriptural evidence for us to build upon? Whether there is a place where we can see that there were in fact women who held positions or not at all. Were women simply there to support their husbands who were in positions of authority? Or were there also women who held positions of authority, especially in ministry? One of the first examples we can look at is, is happened in the early stages of Yeshua or Jesus's ministry, where he met the Samaritan woman at the well. And he told her about her whole life. He told her about the many men in her life, amongst other things. And she was so shocked. And she's like, who, who are you? I, 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 we've heard about this Messiah. And he says, it is me. I'm the one you're looking right at him. And she goes and she proclaims to her town the coming of the king. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the women's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So this woman, after receiving the revelation of Yeshua, she went and she preached. She gave testimony of him. She went to give them the good news. So we already have an example, even though this woman did not have a, have a certain place of authority. We have an example of a woman who, who went out commissioned by God with her, by the, by the conviction of the spirit on her heart to go out and preach the gospel, preach to these people, the truth of this Messiah. We also have the example of Mary Magdalene at the, when, at Yeshua's resurrection. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. How interesting that God would allow a woman, because this is all orchestrated by God, that God would allow a woman to be the first ever individual in the history to proclaim the good news. What is the good news? That he has risen. He is not in the tomb anymore. The tomb is empty. And God, amongst anyone, he could have chosen anyone to show this to. But he chose a woman. I want to submit to you that he had an intent behind this. The father wanted to show that he can use those who we and especially the culture in that age, who they saw women as the weaker vessel. And in the same way, God chose to use a woman to show the people that I can use anyone. And so Mary is not only used once, but shortly thereafter, God uses her again. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had and, and that he had said these things to her. 
So first we have Mary seeing the tomb is empty, God allowing her to see this. But not only that, then she goes back and she, she runs, she, she, grabs the, she calls the disciples to show them the tomb is empty. But then later she stays there and then Yeshua himself appears to her. Amongst anyone he could have appeared to, he appears to a woman. And he says to her, I have come. This is who I am. I have risen. This is where I am. I'm not stolen. My body's not been stolen or anything like that. I have risen from the dead. And then he says something very interesting. Now go proclaim this to your brothers. You see, it's interesting. God says you, you as a woman, you go tell your brothers that I Next up, we also have the letter of the Romans written by Paul, delivered by a woman called Phoebe. And this woman held a position of authority. Let me show you. In Romans 16, verse one, we read, I commend to you. This is Paul writing and he says, I commend to you, our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Concrea. That you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers of Yeshua, the Messiah. Now, it's interesting because when Paul talks about, he says, greet her. He, she is a servant of the assembly. That word for servant in the Greek it's actually deacon. So she, she says, this woman, I'm, I'm, I'm vouching for her. She's been a patron of myself and many others. She's earnestly labored for the assembly. And not only that, you need to remember that she is a deacon. A deacon is a position of leadership in an assembly. He's telling the people to give her respect, to make sure that they care for her, that they don't toss her aside. And then in our next example, we also have Deborah. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She not only was a judge over Israel, but she actually gave military orders to Balak, the military leader of Israel. And I, I encourage you to go read the story in Judges for yourself, where she held high possession of leadership. And a, 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 as a prophet of God, the prophets would oftentimes also be a judge, the one who Israel would come to, to judge over a matter, to judge between right and wrong, to judge, including over men. And to have a position of authority over both men and women. So from reading all of these examples, it may seem obvious that women can have a position of authority. However, it's not as easy because Paul writes in his letters some peculiar things. In 1 Corinthians 14, the women should keep silent in the churches for they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. So Paul says that women are not allowed to speak in a church, 
But this doesn't necessarily make sense. Because a few chapters earlier in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about how women can, should pray and prophesy with her head covered. As we discussed in part one of women of this teaching of women in ministry of the series. And so this seems like a contradiction because now first Paul says women are allowed to speak because obviously you need to speak to prophesy and the prophesying is a public act that happens in a church. So now he's saying she can speak, but then he says, no, woman cannot speak. So this requires of us to really investigate what is going on here. We need to look at the cultural context of what Paul was addressing in his letter. We need to look at the context of the letter itself uh, to understand what he meant. So I'd like to read you a historical letter from a first century Greek biographer. Plutarchus said, wrote the following. She was a woman who gave no thought to spinning or housekeeping, nor did she consider it worthwhile to dominate a man in public life. She wished to rule a ruler and command a commander. Now, in part one of this series, we talked about the new women of Rome. The women who were, who were coming out into the Roman culture because of the change of law in Rome, where women were now suddenly given way more rights. These women seek, sought to dominate over men. They sought to study philosophy. They sought to study um, scripture, and they, ha- they did not have any real outlet for their studies. They could not go and practice as a lawyer, as many of the men did. They, did not con- they were not able to practice many of the professions that men did. So the only outlet that they really had was in gatherings uh, uh, f- with friends or the church. And these women were studying these new women of Rome, many of them in this pagan culture were had a, had a domineering spirit and they were studying for the sake of proving someone wrong. They were studying for the sake of showing knowledge or acquiring knowledge to demonstrate their spirituality or how great they were. Not only that, they sought to dominate over men, domineer men in a manner that was what that was out of balance completely. A way that was unhealthy and upset the rules of authority that God instituted. These women were a hazard to the church. I want to submit to you that Paul was addressing these women in his letters. In 1 Corinthians 14 verse 27, we read about Paul's instructions around order in the church. He, he writes the following. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent church and speak to himself and to God. So he, even though this passage is about speaking in tongues, it is a foundation of church order where we are to speak one at a time in church, not everyone at once and not everyone over each other. There's to be a balance. There's to be order so that everyone can hear what is being said. And especially so that when a new believer or someone from outside comes in, that they would be able to understand what is said. And so if they don't, wouldn't think that the people in this church or in this assembly is out of their mind. And so in light of this, let's have another look at what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. Shortly thereafter, he writes the following. The women should keep silent churches for they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in a church. But all things should be done decently and 
in order. So he refers back to what he just wrote regarding speaking in tongues, how everything needs to be done decently and in order. This might indicate that the women in the church were not doing things decently and in order. Because we know that this, the instructions regarding order is not only for women, it's not only for men. However, there is a good chance in light of the cultural problems that were going on at the day, that the women, the new, these new women, these pagan women or this pagan culture was influencing the women in the church, in the Corinthian church, and causing them to have a domineering spirit. Or them even simply seeing the behavior outside and thinking that it's okay to bring that behavior inside the church. Paul furthermore says something very interesting. He says that women are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. Now, this is quite peculiar because we can typically deduct that Paul's referring to the Torah and the prophets. As in part one of this series, we talked about how everything that, that, that the writers of our New Testament, Yeshua, Paul, the disciples, everything that they did may not add or take away from the Torah and the prophets, according to Deuteronomy 4 verse 2. And if anything is added or taken away, that would be a transgression of the law. That would be sin in itself. And we know that Paul, as well as Yeshua, would not be in sin. They would not be adding or taking away from the law. So Paul is, seems to be referring to the law. However, there is no such law in the entire Torah of prophets that says that a woman is not allowed to speak in an assembly, a fellowship. Nor is there even a law that says a woman is not allowed to judge or to teach. This is quite obvious because we see we just read about Deborah, who was an, a, a prophet in the times of the Old Testament, and she was a godly woman serving God as a prophet, and she was serving as a judge over Israel, as well as serving in a place of authority, giving orders to Balak, the military leader of Israel. And so I'd like to submit to you that the law that Paul was referring to was not a law of, of, of the Torah, a law of what we call the Old Testament today, but rather a Roman law that he was addressing at the time. Let me show you. We read in a historical record called the Digest the following. Women were not to intervene or intercede in public settings or come between two parties. And an imperial ban had already existed from the time of Augustus on women intervening on behalf of their husbands in the context of legal argument in the time of Claudius, according to Opium, the Valagian decree of the Senate. The Senatus Consulum Valerianum was passed by the Senate. And so there was a Roman law, a governmental institutional law that prohibited women from intervening or interceding on behalf of their husbands in a public setting. Not only that, but women were, it was actually an imperial ban that women were not allowed to intervene for their husbands. So this would make complete sense in a church setting because an assembly is a public space. And Paul is saying now that women are to keep quiet in this public space, the church, and they are not allowed to speak. And they should be in submission to their husband, of course, 
Because we know that a wives are, to come, are instructed in Ephesians to submit to their husbands, and husbands are to love their wives. And so the wife, Paul is saying there are to be in submission, and this is all as the law says. And this is exactly what the Roman law of the time said. Furthermore, Paul instructs us in Romans 13 verse 1 about how we are always to subject ourselves to the governing authorities of the land. So Paul himself has been someone who who upheld um, the idea that we should submit ourselves to the authority of the land, the government of the land, even if we don't completely agree with them, such as Paul was obviously not in agreement with everything that the Roman authorities held to. However, here he's giving us instructions how women ought to act in accordance to what the Roman laws of the time are saying. And this is in accordance to letters of the Romans that he, he, he wrote already. Romans 13 verse 1, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So why does Paul then say that it is shameful for women to speak in church? I'd like to remind you of part one in this series where we looked at the head coverings and how Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11 that it is a shame for women to prayer prophesy with her head uncovered. In other words, to prayer prophesy outside the authority of her husband or her covering. And so Paul is saying the same thing. The Roman law said they're not allowed to intervene on behalf of their husbands. Furthermore, the Roman law goes as far as to also say that if a woman um, does breaks Roman law, that it would that the punishment for that would be to shave her head, such in, in the case of committing adultery or disrespecting her husband. That the punishment is the shaving of the head, and that is the public humiliation of the woman. And so this is why Paul is using the same words. He's saying it is it, it would be a shame to her if she speaks in this public space. Because the Roman law dictated that it is a shame. We can confidently conclude that Paul was, was speaking about Roman law or some other law of the culture and not in regards to the Torah. For there is no such instruction in the Torah that prohibits a woman from speaking at all, even in the presence of her husband. The only Torah instructions that exist is in the terms of the making of the vow, where a woman or to when she says and makes a statement thereafter, a husband can come and nullify her vow. Or if she is under her father's home, her father. But this instruction does not conclude or specify that a woman is not allowed to speak in a public setting, but rather simply that she should submit herself to her covering, subject herself to her covering. So what was the point of the matter? Paul was encouraging women to subject themselves to the Roman laws of the land, where women are not to intervene on behalf of their husbands. Furthermore, he was addressing a bigger problem in the church of the new women, the the ideology that was going around outside the church in the pagan Roman culture around them, where there was a rise of women who sought to dominate, who sought to study for the sake of coming to church or coming to parties or coming to any gatherings to simply give their opinion. The philosophy that they were studying or the Torah that they were studying, they they simply wanted to come and dominate over everyone there. So, and this is a problem that even today exists not only among women, but amongst many men and women alike, where there are many men even today who go and they study, they go and they, they dig into scripture, not to edify the relationship with God, but rather 
to come to a fellowship to argue, to prove their domineering or their authority or any such matter. As a Paul is warning us against that and he's saying, be humble, come into a place. And, and I'd like to, brothers and sisters, remind you of the teaching of Christ where he taught us to be the least. And those who, who make themselves the least will be the greatest. And those who make themselves the greatest will be the least. The next part of scripture that we're going to be looking at is 1 Timothy. These women also sought to upset the role, uh, roles that God instituted in the garden of the husband and the wife. The, the husband as the leader and the priest of the household and the wife as the helpmeet to him. And so the, this upsetting of the roles was a big problem in the church. And so this is why Paul had to address it. Let a woman learn in silence and all subjection. But I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Rather, to be in silence. Now, in this letter of Paul, yet again, it seems very clear that Paul is simply saying women are not allowed to teach. We're not allowed to have any kind of authority. Women should just keep quiet, sit in the corner and make and stay in the kitchen. Nothing can be farther from the truth. This has not been God's instruction in the Torah at any point at all. In fact, as with the examples we read about in the beginning of this teaching, it seemed to have been quite the opposite in terms of our, the scriptural examples of Yeshua's interactions with women, as well as the lifting up of Deborah as a prophet and teacher of the nation of Israel. First, we need to understand what the letter of 1 Timothy is about. Now, as a side note, it is always important for us to not take a verse out of context and post it somewhere on YouTube, on Facebook, on social media, or in our congregations, throw out a scripture as a verse or as two or three verses. We must go and dig in and read books as a whole, read the letters as a whole. You, you will not listen to this, skip to the end of this teaching or skip to the middle of this teaching and take one sentence of what I say. You will rather look, read from the, watch this video from the beginning. And in the same way, we must read scripture in the same way. Paul writes the following in the earlier stages of his letter. 1 Timothy 1 verse 3. As I appealed to you when I went into Macedonia to remain in Ephesus in order to command some not to teach differently, nor to pay attention to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than an administration of God, which is in belief. Now, the goal of this command is love from a clean heart, from a good conscience and a sincere belief, which some, having missed the goal, turned aside to senseless talk, wishing to be teachers of Torah, understanding neither what they say nor concerning what they strongly affirm. And so Paul eloquently opens his letter in 1 Timothy with the instruction that this letter is going to be about people who are teaching differently. People who have a form of, 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 of they try and make themselves seem like they know the Torah and, and know what they're talking about. But in reality, they don't. And they pay attention to endless fables and endless genealogies and things that have no profit. And so this gives us an indication that this is the questions that Paul was re replying to. And in 1 Timothy 2, in the next chapter, Paul then starts outlining various different issues. And he gives us a few verses for each of these issues. Amongst them is how men are to pray with their hands lifted high, hands in the air, praise God, and not to have disputes among them. 
We can then deduct that these disputes that these men may have had were in relation to what Paul was opening his letter with in the previous chapter. So resolve that men pray everywhere, lifting up hands that are set apart without wrath and disputing. Next, Paul starts addressing women and jewelry. In the previous part of this teaching, in the part one of Women in Ministry in this series, we talked about this verse. About women, he writes the following. He says, Likewise, that the women dress themselves becomingly with decency and sensibleness, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly garments, but with good works which is becoming for women undertaking worship of God. In part one of this teaching, we already established that God, but Paul was clearly referring to the customs of the new women of Rome. These new women who were coming out and, and, and trying to, to dominate and trying to, to, to be, um, act as prostitutes, etc. And so we see that he is addressing these new women, these women who are also coming in with their ideas, these, these, their domineering spur to tr that try to dominate over their husbands, the men and the church. And not only that, but the philosophies that they tried to bring in, he was speaking against. Remember when he, he opened his letter, he talked about these fables. He talked about these, these genealogies, the end, these endless discussions of things that are not worthy to be discussed. I want to submit that it is these things that the, the women, the new women of Rome are bringing in through their studying of philosophy. Philosophy was a new venue for these women to study. And so a lot of them jumped on board, studied it with the intent of coming into fellowships and, and domineering men. As we read in the previous letter, the historical letter of the first century writer. So in light of all of this, and in light of the context of this letter, which was about these, these different false teachings, as we read in 1 Timothy 1, those who come and came in to teach different things, Paul then writes in the next verse the following, Let a woman learn in silence, in all subjection, but I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, rather to be in silence. So let us break these verses down. First of all, Paul says, let a woman learn in silence. Now that word for silence in the Greek is actually hisokios. And it means to properly keep one's seat, that is to be still or undisturbed. So this word actually means let, let these women learn undisturbed. Let them learn still. Don't bother them when they want to learn. And we have an example of this in scripture with Miriam and Yeshua himself, where Miriam came to sit at his feet to learn. And she had a sister called Miriam who also sat at the feet of Yeshua and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and coming up, she said, Master, are you not concerned that my sister has left me to serve alone? Speak to her then to help me. And Yeshua answering said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many matters, but one only is necessary. And Miriam has chosen the good portion, which shall not be taken away from her. Here again, Yeshua basically teaches the same. Let her learn and in, in stillness in that same word in, in, in subjection. Let her learn, continue to stay at my feet. Don't bother her. Don't, don't let her, you know, I know you're busy with your work around the kid, around the house right now, but 
I want her to stay right now here and learn. Let her learn. In verse 12, then Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but rather to be in silence. Now, next, the word authority also in this in our in our most of our translations, it's not properly translated because the Greek word used here is authentio. And it doesn't. It's different from the word exousia, which is the common word used for authority, jurisdiction, right or power. But authentio, it actually means something very different. It means to dominate. You see, Paul is yet again addressing this new woman of Rome that's coming in this this culture, coming into the church of the dominating woman. I don't permit a woman to teach or dominate over a man, rather to be in silence. I don't permit a woman to aggressively dominate over a man would be the proper way to say this. And by this, we can also then deduct that the teaching that this domineering woman is bringing is not in accordance to the teaching of Christ. It's the teaching, the different teaching that Paul was writing about in 1 Timothy 1 when he talked about these coming in, teaching different things, fables, endless genealogies, who, who and I quote, wishing to be teachers of Torah, understanding neither what they say nor concerning what they strongly affirm. And so Paul is clearly speaking about a certain type of woman because Again, brothers and sisters, we need to remember there's no provision in the Torah that says that women can't speak, women can't teach, women can't have any form of authority. Furthermore, we also read in a few chapters earlier about how Paul talks about women speaking in an assembly when they're prophesying. So he's obviously speaking about a certain woman in the church, a certain set of women who are, have a dominating spirit. Now, the reason for this dominating spirit can be summed up in, in three main categories. In relation to the culture, I've already mentioned about the, philosoph the philosophy issue, where women were now able suddenly, because of the change of the laws in Rome, they were able to start studying philosophy. And in their studying of philosophy, they started, they wanted to come and they wanted a platform to express themselves. And this platform could have been seen as the church to them where they could come in with all these Roman pagan philosophical often ideas and present this in a church setting. And these philosophy, philosophical ideas uh, in combination with the poetry of the day that was coming out of this new culture may have given these women an idea that they can now dominate. They can. They don't need to submit to a husband. They don't need to. They can take over an assembly. And our problem, brothers and sisters, yet again, this is not only an issue with women. This is a woman with men too, who seek to dominate over someone else, who God has not permitted. A first-century philosopher in Rome at the time of Paul's letters wrote the following. 
His name, Mususus Rufus, he wrote, Women who associate with philosophers are bound to be arrogant for the most part and presumptuous, and that abandoning their own households and returning to the company of men, they practice speeches, talk like sophists, and analyze silicons when they ought to be sitting at home spinning. And so he's referring to these women who are actually abandoning their households, abandoning their roles and, and totally go, simply going into the company of men with the intention of taking over and dominating and simply showing how they can be, how they are smart, how they have know something. The second cultural reason for this dominating spirit in the, of, in the women of, of this church that Paul is writing to is also Artemis. Artemis was a pagan goddess, a female goddess that who, who the Romans worshipped. But this goddess, these temples, only had female high priests. And so next to Christianity at the time the day in the first century Rome, Artemis and the worship of Artemis was the other big religion in town. And so it had a huge impact on the society as a whole. And so it is very possible as well that the Roman, the woman priests within these temples and the idea that when we go to worship this God, we have women priests, we have a woman who dominates over the entire temple. It may be that those ideas have crept into the churches of Rome where Paul was in. And so Paul is basically saying the way that you guys have were you pagans, you who came out of paganism, you who are now coming into Christ, being one with Christ. You used to worship your God in this way. We're not going to do it here like that. We are going to have order. We are going to have a, a place where, where men will also be leaders. We're going to have a place where men will enter an authoritative role, where men will be deacons, where men will teach, etc. And so this incredible imbalance that this would have created with this pagan culture coming into the church, this worship of this other God and how they did it with the women. Because of this, Paul needed to balance things out. He needed to tell these women, you can't teach. You can't dominate. You can't do what you did in there in here. We're worshiping God in his way. And so the third and the last cultural ideology that was going on at the time that caused this ideology of the dominating women in the church was also the very prevalent belief of the Gnostics. The Gnostics believed in differently in terms of many things, but especially in terms of creation. They believe that Eve actually brought forth Adam, that life came from Eve and that Eve was the higher being, that, that Eve was the, one, the, 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 was the one who actually held the role that the husband holds, the role of leadership, the role of covering, etc. And so this polar opposite to what the scriptures actually teach was a big problem in the first century. Where many had then this idea that women were, were, had to take on the role that men had to take. While in reality, it's actually the role that belongs to men. And so this is why Paul in the very next verse starts talking about creation. Because he's addressing this belief that is crept in because of the Gnostics. He says, because Adam was formed first then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the women having been deceived fell into transgression. 
So Paul starts off by addressing and he says, guys, I know that you guys or some of you may have caught on this Gnostic belief that that women are, are dominant are supposed to dominate. But I'm telling you, and he balances it out and he says that Adam was created first and then Eve. He talks about the, the creation account and he talk and he's basically referring to the structure that God has put in place. The structure of the woman and the husband who covers her and then Christ who covers the husband and then God who covers everyone. In verse 15, he then makes a peculiar statement. He says that, but she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in belief and love and set apartness with sensibleness. Now, you remember Artemis, the goddess with the, with the female high priests. That the belief of Artemis, which was a very prevalent belief at the time, is that Artemis was the goddess who would, who would save women in childbearing and who would actually take the pain away from childbearing for women. And so women in the Roman pagan culture would actually go to these temples and they would worship Artemis, pregnant women especially, in hopes that they would have they would alleviate their pain and that their pregnancy would everything would go well with. And so Paul is saying, guys, what are you doing looking to these other things, these other gods? And he says, you will be saved in childbearing if you continue in belief. If you continue in this belief of the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, he's the one who saves us in childbearing. He's the one who, who, who blesses us. He's the one who, who makes pregnancies go well. And this is, of course, in, rever in reference to the Gen Genesis account where God said that women will bear children in pain. And so see, yes, that is part of it. But God is so, so now God is saying, Paul is reminding them and saying, yes, that's part of it. But God will redeem you. God will be with you. God is the one you need to look to when you're bearing children. There was also a big rise of abortion in the, in the day where these new women of Rome were conducting abortions left and right. There are many historical writings in reference to this. And they started becoming more independent like their male counterparts. The male count, their male counterparts were able to commit adultery without any punishment or transgression or issue into the Roman law. And so they now wanted to do the same. And these women started committing adultery left and right. And they, they pursued a sexual freedom. And so due to that, there was a great rise in abortion in the time of the Roman culture. These abortions were incredibly dangerous and women would often die during the procedure. This can also attribute to the fact why Paul is saying that you will be saved in childbearing if you continue in this belief. And so to conclude, the point of Paul's writings in 1 Timothy was that we are to be an, have an order in fellowships. We are to not dominate a fellowship. We are not to take over. This was like what the Gnostics did. They, they pursued knowledge because they believed that if they could have knowledge, that would bring them closer to God. Their knowledge is the, the strand between them and God. However, this is not what the scripture teaches. The scripture teaches that we can have an intimate relationship with God. Yes, by studying the scripture in prayer, but by a, having a relationship, like the relationship between a bride and a bridegroom, where there is a personal 
intimacy and pursuit of walking like Messiah Yeshua. In humility, in love, in sacrifice, in making ourselves the least, in presenting any teaching that Father has revealed to us in humility with the only, only, only idea of exalting His kingdom and not our own. Furthermore, the teaching of Paul in 1 Timothy is that those who don't have authority ought not to exercise authority. Those who have not been given a position of authority should not come to try and dominate try and take over, especially because of the danger of false teaching. Paul was addressing and he's saying, guys, there's all these other teachings, all these other things going on. And today there's much of the same. Many endless genealogies, endless distractions, things that are not about the scriptures, things that are all around it, but that people creep in into fellowships to teach, creep in to dominate fellowships with. And Paul is teaching against this. He's saying, submit to your authority, submit to your leadership and to the roles that God has instituted. So from this, we can confidently deduct that women are allowed to teach. Women are allowed to even have a position of authority in a church, such as Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church and who Paul himself upheld upheld as a deacon and he said she she's a servant you you should guys you should respect her and apart from that we have deborah who was a prophetess who who was an authority even over the, the military leader of israel the highest of the high of authority and so we see that there's there's a clear distinction deborah even was having authority over men of israel passing judgments And so in the same way, it is fitting for a woman to teach. It is fitting for a woman to even have authority. This, however, is very important to be taken in context with part one of this teaching, where women are to submit to their husbands, just as the church submits, the assembly, the body of Christ submits to Yeshua. And that to fulfill that picture, but also to fulfill the instruction of, of, of the Torah, where husbands approve or deny a vow that is made by a woman. And lastly, I'd like to leave you with this. Don't be like the disciples who rejected the testimony of Mary Magdalene when she was sent by God himself. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. God chose women amongst the first ever to bring the good news. And when they came to their brothers, the disciples, the apostles, these great men, they didn't believe them. They thought of their words as idle and obscene. And I want to submit to you that the same has happened today. Women have in many cases preached and taught men incredible things. I myself have been taught incredible things by women. And in many cases, we as men, we have rejected that teaching, just like the this apostles rejected the testimony of Mary and the other females. And so God calls men today to reconsider this and to, to, to humble themselves to listen when a woman speaks. 
For Father reveals many things to women that men would never hear because we are just wired differently. God made us husband and wife and we know that man is not independent from woman and woman is not independent from man. We're all one in him. We're all made in the image of God as written in Genesis. And so God calls us, even though we have very different roles, God calls us to preach the gospel in and out of season, to make disciples, to teach in patience in humility and into reverence to the word of God. Husbands and wives are to labor together in the gospel. Wives are to submit themselves to their husbands and husbands are to love their wives. Husbands are to sacrifice and co- for their wives, to cover their wives to, and, 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 and make offerings for her. The husband is to lead the household. The husband is to lead the children and, and, and lead them well. And similarly, women play an incredibly important role in the household, which we all know. And so with this all, I'd like to encourage you to search the scriptures. Walk through these scriptures yet again and study them out for yourself. See them and read them in light of the cultural context as well as what Paul, the context of the scriptures itself. For with this, we can surely get away from many years of false teaching that has crept into many of our denominations, teaching that has oppressed women, teaching that has kept women back from the fullness and the glorious, beautiful role that God has for them. And women, I would like to leave you with this. Never allow a man to tell you that you're not allowed to, to, to bring the message of the gospel. Submit yourself to your husband but preach the gospel in and out of season. If this teaching blessed you, consider becoming a patron with our ministry to help me continue making these teachings. I hope this blessed and encouraged you. Subscribe to this YouTube channel. Like this video if you liked it. Share it with your friends so we can see freedom come. May God bless you and keep you. And I'll see you in the next video.